And yes, that is a misprint in your bulletin because there's always this interesting reality where I try to have the passage out on Monday, and yet throughout the week I'm with the verse, and I realize the pathway I thought I was going to take with the passage isn't the pathway the Lord wants me to take. So we will only be in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, but let's pray before we get into them. Father God, as we close out this remarkable book, we pray that you bless our understanding, bless our knowledge, bless our coming to you through your word. Protect the ears that hear, give them hearts of flesh, but also protect my mouth. Let anything that I say that might not be true be quickly forgotten, Lord, and let only the truth of your word stand in the end. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. These four verses are remarkable. They are truly remarkable because they really help summarize, in one sense, the entire book of Habakkuk. Remember, we are in psalm still. This is still a hymn. We looked at the first 16 verses of this song last week. We are really now in the last stanza of this song, of this hymn. And, uh, and I was trying to think this week of how to kind of quantify what's being said at the very beginning. And I thought about that moment when I knew I was going to, I wanted to marry my wife, Stephanie. Having at times done a lot of pastoral ministry of counseling, often we'll kind of see at times couples who are all about their feelings in the moment towards an individual. But the Lord kind of blessed me with an understanding, with this reality of what did I want for the end of my life? What did I want for, or even who did I want to be there alongside of me as my body broke down, as the hairline kept receding, as belly grew and the wrinkles grew and, and the beard got white? I just, I just looked at a picture when I first got here four and a half years ago. I had like no white in my beard. Now when I cut my beard, it's like white down there. So, you know, as these things happened, as this mortal vessel proved itself, the finitude that it, it clings to, as it proved to melt away, who is the kind of woman I would want beside me at such a moment? Not knowing, of course, who would go first, but it was Stephanie. It was Stephanie in which all those moments from then until... One of us no longer would be. I wanted to share that with. I wanted to share those moments with her. And in a lot of ways, what Habakkuk is going to sing about in this last stanza are his own vows towards God. You know, when we think of those marital vows, those vows, half of them are utterly pointless. For better? For richer? In health? Nobody ever has said, yeah, marriage has been really hard lately. We're in the best shape of our lives. We just won the lottery. 
and, and our health is great. It's wonderful. We're all sunshine and rainbows over here. But Habakkuk in this passage, and especially these first two verses, will deal with the true vows of any good and ardent relationship. It will have a, it'll be a wedding-like vow. We're talking about when things do get worse. When reality does make us poorer. When sickness steals away health. In those moments, this song of Habakkuk, those moments that this song of Habakkuk is wrestling with. And we see this starting in verse 16. In verse 16, we see hints of a dramatic physical decline. We talked briefly about this verse last week, but the judgment God has revealed to Habakkuk has led nothing short to a physical decline in his well-being. There is a fascinating truth about this physical decline of the prophet. What is at the root of his physical decay? Why is his body suffering under the weight of the magnitude and the enormity of that which he has seen and realizes people will endure? And I want to suggest this. It's because of his faith. It's because of his faith, his body is enduring hardship and agony. You know, here he has been given a vision that some of his friends, some of his co-laborers, some of his family, surely family members would have surely been caught up in this judgment to come. And that would have been an overwhelmingly difficult vision to behold. And it's his faith, it's his trust in the Word of God and the revelation of God that leads him to that struggle. And we don't want to run too quickly to the don't be anxious verses or these sorts of things in this moment because this is something produced and you even see this in a minor way in one sense when Jesus weeps over Lazarus. It's not that he doesn't understand the reality of the greater resurrection of Lazarus to come, but he still weeps. He still grieved. And that faith has, in one sense, established some of that. You know, it's a little bit like this. Around a campfire at times, I remember as a kid, people would tell a scary story about, you know, that old man river, the gold panner or something like that. And you listen to this person tell this tale and you kind of get consumed by it as a young kid. Now, of course, there are better tales to tell, right, Jacob Stike? Like Fox and the Hound? Fox and the Hound's a good story, right? That would be, Jacob loves that story. I like that story too. He was telling me this week, how do you work Fox and the Hound into a sermon? Well, there you go. Fox and the Hound is a better campfire story than an old ghost story. But the person can kind of capture your imagination. You find yourself sometimes, as I remember as a young kid, kind of sleeping in the tent and you're, with one eye open, you know? You're worried about what is to come. You actually have, have a misplaced faith in such moment. You have a misplaced faith that has caused you concern, that has kind of changed the situation that you are in and your comfort level. And as you grow and as you mature, you know, oh, there you go again. You're telling one of those tales. And, 
and you move on from it. Except when my wife, remember, watches scary movies because somehow she needs to face the door of the bedroom. Yes. So anyways, but this story, this, what he has been told by the word of God and the revelation of God is entirely the opposite problem. Nobody really trusts in the Word of God in the society in which Habakkuk lives in. They don't have a fear of God before their eyes. And so because of that, he trembles. Because he knows what is to come, and yet no one will really receive that which God has warned them will happen. That judgment is coming. And so he physically suffers. His faith grants him hardships he wouldn't have had if he didn't have faith. And there are several avenues of application here for us, but let me state one, this one first. It can be hard at times for us to fathom why certain people, sometimes those who are closest to us, have no fear of God in their eyes. I just was even thinking back on this week. The most bothersome, the most troubling thing this last week is two people I love dearly continue to be more and more hardy the things of God. And I have employed prayer warriors. I've been praying for them. And honestly, if uh, after church, I'd be happy to employ more. People I love and care about, they just continue to be more and more hardened to the Word of God. And it just, it troubles me. And it breaks my heart. And I pray and I pray. And the fact of the matter is, it affects me. It affects me because I know the Word of God is true. I don't think this word is true. I know this word is true. And it sorrows and saddens me that those hidden things that we talked about in Sunday school, those secret things, they do not know. They have not received the power of the Spirit which unveils and reveals these things. That some whom I even love might be washed away in the great judgment to come because they have had no faith. No faith to fear the Lord their God, which is the beginning of wisdom. And then the Lord will sweep them off the face of the earth if they do not repent, if they do not bow to me, because he has set out, as he's made clear in the book of Habakkuk, to establish his kingdom throughout the world for righteousness to clearly, entirely envelop the earth like water. I will also say this in verse 16, that I think it would be a great verse to consider and to meditate on it, you were ever made to physically suffer for the faith that we hold. What a wonderful verse to hold on to if we were made to endure physical pain and suffering for believing in God. Habakkuk believed in God, and because he believed God, it caused him to physically suffer. But it also, because he believed upon him, it gave him the strength to physically endure that suffering. One final application of verse 16. While some of us will pass away in death in the twinkling of an eye and will die in our sleep, let us be candid for a moment. We all have the judgment of mortal death in store for us. And that's a just judgment of God. And it's one that can cause us anxiety and fear to see that body begin to fail. Especially in those cases where bodily independence is stripped away. And yet while Death is still the greatest fear of humankind, and the body breaking down sadly heightens our sober understanding of the reality of death that is to come for us. 
Faith is still the way forward. Faith is the way to deal with the troubles of death. Because faith is faith in him is the way to crush death and the fear of death. There is still a way to travel that road, and that road is to be traveled in faithfulness to him. For the righteous, as Habakkuk put it, are to live by his faith. And then moving on into verse 17, we have a second kind of decay befalling this prophet. There is famine in the land. Now the ancient world ran on a few select items. These were the staples. They were figs, grapes, or fruit of the vine, olives, wheat for bread, and livestock for meat. These were the good things that both the people and the king would desire in the land. I think it was about two months ago, my family headed over to the Baranos for dinner, and we wanted to surprise them with something for the dinner, and so we stopped by Corpolis. When I first tried Corpolis, I hated it. I absolutely hate it, but unlike Scrapple, Scrapple will never grow on me. Corpolis has grown. I like corporate. Not corporate with toppings. I just want it with the tomato sauce and the bread. Give me all the carbs. But so we stopped by there, but then we texted Callie. Stephanie texted Callie and said, is there anything we can bring? And she asked for ice cream. So corporate out in Limerick. It's right by the CVS. We stopped by there. Because sometimes CVS has those little gallons of ice cream. Stephanie went in to get ice cream. There was no ice cream. Okay, fine. That's crazy. I can't believe they don't have any ice cream. All right, go in the car again. We drove. We passed a, a smaller market, stopped in. Stephanie went inside, came out, no ice cream. What? I didn't even believe her at this point. I figured she, like, got lost. She wasn't looking in the right place, but she actually had a photo. She took a photo, and there here was this whole section of the refrigerator that you could see normally was stocked full with, like, eight rows of ice cream, and it was entirely empty. Took three places to finally find a place with ice cream. <laughs> Those kinds of small inconveniences have become more and more common. The prophet is going to be made to experience a time where there is nothing. There is no food. There is total famine. You can guess actually where, how, Judah devolved in light of not having food, but if you, but really the prophet Jeremiah records it, and I believe it's in chapter 19, verse 9. It gets as bad as you think it can get because there is no food. So everything has been stripped from him. His bodily, his physicality, and he's, and he has no good food to eat. Everything has been stripped from him. So it sounds awful. It sounds terrible. And it's interesting because here in verse 17, I thought about the Exodus, and we're soon going to be in the Exodus. So much of that march in the book of Exodus was to the land flowing with milk and honey. That the land would provide abundantly for the people, that it would provide these good and gracious things so that the Lord just wanted a people who sought after him and desired to be a people of his own heart. And they kept stubbornly refusing. And so in one sense, 
Because the people were in a spiritual famine, God will send a real famine, a real shortage, so that he might restore them. Another way to look at it, though, is even though they had good things in the land God had given them, they gave themselves over to ugly things, to debased things. So in one sense, they were marching themselves right back, metaphorically speaking, into the desert, into the wilderness, in order to be starving. The physical removal of the common good items that they came to expect was actually a judgment on the spiritual removal of God from their lives. And I just had to think about Jesus in the wilderness for the full weight of these two verses. Rob led an incredible study, a men's study this month on it. You missed out in my estimation if you weren't there, but do you remember how the devil really approaches Jesus in the wilderness? He basically approaches him from the position of While Jesus' body is breaking down physically, he's literally starving to death. He hasn't had provision of food for more than 40 days. The devil comes to him and basically tries to convince our Lord and Savior, see, the Father doesn't care about you. The Father doesn't love you. You don't have these things, so so the Father doesn't love love you, but I will give you these things. I will give you these things right now. Just share your allegiance to me. Align yourself with me. And I will give, I will give these things to you. And yet our Lord and Savior, he was steadfast. He knew the fullness of these verses, the challenges of these verses. And he would not relent because he knew the Father loved him. And in a similar kind of way, Habakkuk has a faith that has been taken to the brink. And yet because Habakkuk's faith is a faith that resides in him, in the faithfulness of God. It is an unfailing faith because God has established his ways and his steps. And because Habakkuk has a faith that proceeds from our triune God, he can, in the face of physical decay and at the loss of all common and material comforts, declare in verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And if you appreciate why verse, what verse 18 truly means, you'll understand why it is healthy to pick upon and push on the hucksters that are prosperity gospel preachers that make Jesus into the grand genie in the land. Habakkuk's faith is a faith that is stripped with, from everything, and he doesn't lose his faith. The hucksters say, if you do this act of faith, you'll get everything in terms of material comforts, creature comforts. And that kind of faith, if America is on the precipice of a greater famine that will hear its spiritual famine in the land, it will not hold fast, it will not stand firm, it will wither and melt away, and it will convince itself that the goodness of the Father is no longer good because these material things are no longer here. And it's foolish, and it's folly, and it's a shallow faith. And yeah, and the, and the prophet will have none of it, The prophet knows nothing of that immature kind of faith because he knows he has something that can't be taken away from him. 
Notice the language used. His salvation is in the Lord. Are you someone asking yourself, what do I do if I lose my health? What if I do? What do I do if I lose my wealth, if I lose all that I possess? What do you do in such moments? You remember and focus upon one thing that can never be taken away from you. For it's held securely in sacred trust in the heavenly places. It's in the faithfulness of him and his salvation that he brings that warrior of light that we talked about last week, that rest and peace are found in his ability to secure our salvation. It's where we find hope. Even though there may be a time where there is no longer help, but there is sickness. Even though there might be a time in store for us where we are no longer richer, but we are poorer. Even though there might be a time in store for us that no longer is better, but it is worse. It is in such a moment where we look to the Lord and to our salvation in Him, through Him, and by Him, remembering the assurance of His Word and His love for us that, has, that makes a way for us to venture forth through such shadows and valleys. You can have nothing and Jesus, and you can have everything. Or you can have everything except Jesus, and at the end of the day, you have nothing. That is at the core of what Habakkuk in Psalm is trying to get us to sing, to get us to join the chorus. We can have nothing and Jesus, and we have everything. Or we can have everything without Jesus, but we have nothing. Can you sing that? Is that your song? And then we come to the final verse, verse 19. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then in addition to that, to the choir master with stringed instrument. Now this final verse, verse 19, quotes two other songs. The first half quotes a song written by Moses and Israel joined in to sing after in the Exodus they saw the armies of Pharaoh be crushed. That he is purposely picking a lyric from that moment. And it is actually a remarkable thing that he's picking that lyric because as we point it out, he has seen the judgment that is to come. You know, the judgment of Moses' day was almost easier to sing about. It was about the enslavers. It was about the impressors. It was about Egypt who forgot the glorious things the family of Israel had established this country and saved this country in so doing. They forgot about the benefits of the Lord's people and thus enslaved them and laid heavy burdens down upon them. Whereas... Habakkuk is picking a similar verse, but what he is seeing is when the church, when the people who appear to visibly be a part of the church are judged, the covenant people are going to be judged in a wave and a flood of judgment. And he basically says, can you sing about that too? Can you sing about that too? The second half of the verse references the deer. 
And that's a quote from David from Psalm, let me see here. Psalm 18, verse 34. And Bruce, your video series has changed this illustration and this imagery for me for the rest of my life when it comes to the deer. David uses this illustration when he was escaping Saul, or Saul, not Saul. When he was escaping Saul, when he was hiding out in the cave. And eventually, when actually Saul is crushed is when he writes this psalm. When God removes Saul from the equation. But where he hid out Gita, right? Get, get, yeah. Where he hid out, there are these deer. And they go up these sheer cliffs. And Bruce has a video of them going up these sheer cliffs. Places where other creatures, other animals, no human could stand firmly upon. These deer can stand in such places. Below them looks to be certain death. It looks to be like they're going to fall to their doom, but these deer can hang out there, and there is not a care in the world in their sight. And Habakkuk thinks upon these deer as an illustration for the faith that the Lord has blessed them with, that, that in the face of demise, of certain death even, he can still look out with no fear. Have you found the foothold? that can support you like that? That can support your weight while others might fall away? When everything's stripped away from you, whether your physical health or your material wealth, have you found the foothold that can cause you to sing and trust in the Lord and not forsake the Lord, your God? What we've been learning in this song is that Habakkuk has been kind of teaching us at the end of his prayer Remember, this, this was a prayer. How we can pray, how we can follow him and sing unto the Lord. And we learn in the breakdown of even this song, the pattern in which we should pray to the Lord. From verse 1, we remember that this was a song that was to be sung with a chaotic kind of melody so that when chaos comes to us, we need to prepare ourselves to look to the Lord. And verse 2 shows that basically we can lay to bear our concerns before God as the chaos comes, as the hardship comes upon us, as the physical body might fail or the material wealth might go away or whatever else might happen to us. We can lay to bear to our greater bridegroom. I'm worried about these things. I'm concerned about these things. And then from verses 3 to 15, what do we learn about praying like this and talking to God like this? He actually directs our eyes more firmly to Him. He actually gives us a greater vision of who He is and what He has done. That actually in seeing the Lord draped in light, this messianic figure draped in light, this warrior, that we can find a comfort and we can find an assurance and we can find a way forward. And then... In our verses today, we learn the final prayer lesson of this song. And the lesson to be learned here in the lyrics of the song are this. No matter what circumstances are before you, whatever you might be made to face, because you and I have him, 
We have the joy of salvation in every circumstance, and no one can take that away from us. Regardless if we die in our sleep or in a gulag, all the losses and sorrows between now and then along the way, we have the joy of the Lord's salvation, and so in that we have everything, and we've lost nothing. And that is something no famine can touch, no decline of our physical faculties can remove. You know, last night I saw a quote after I'd wrapped up my sermon. I thought it too providential not to be included. It was a quote written by John Owen, a great Puritan. You don't know John Owen, just know this. He watched 10 of his 11 children die before him in death. He buried 10 of his 11 children. Can't even imagine. I've officiated just officiated the funeral for a woman. She had lost her son a year earlier. Can't imagine bearing 10 of 11. And he wrote this. To those to whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. Let me repeat that so it can more concretely sink in. To those to whom Christ is the hope of future glory, he is also the life of present grace. If we have a hold and he has a hold of us, the individual whom Habakkuk calls him, if we have Christ, we are most rich indeed, for in him we have the fullness of joy, of hope, of love and salvation in the Lord, both now and forever, Christian. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, what a mighty word this is indeed. We live in a world where even the church at times tries to declare our salvation can be removed from us. And yet through the fullness of this passage, you have clearly told us The one thing that your faithful cannot lose is the salvation that we enjoy that is found in him. Lord, we do know that there will be a day where our bodies fully fail. Our life, our present faculties will be fully taken away. We know that there will come times in our lives of shortages and famines and hardships, both spiritual and possibly even material. Lord, think of even the reality of the costs of living that have gone up so dramatically in recent times. And yet, Lord, we thank you that you've given us good bread from above today to remember if we have you, we have everything. We thank you for that assured hope, this glorious truth. Help us to grow in faith, to better understand what Habakkuk saw. That even in judgment, even in hardship, even in struggle, that looking to you gave peace to it all. We praise you for this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Now let us take a moment to quietly and privately confess our sins before the Lord.